0: has you hello this is a special bonus episode i'm crystal and with me are two very special guests we have hannah
1: hello here's hannah number one sebebe fan
0: and esther
2: i am esther tied number one sebebe fan all right so brass tacks
1: before we get into anything about this movie we need to talk sebebe <laughs> we need to talk about my perfect round warbling daughter i love her so much thoughts on sebebe people <laughs>
0: The thing I love about Sebebe is that she's just she's just a robot. <laughs> she's just a big bug. She's not a human, but she she can feel things and she cares about Neo.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um she she kinda bumps up against Neo with her big forehead and warbles softly. Um I know we're absolutely getting ahead of ourselves and I we we will pull back shortly and like do a proper intro or whatever, but um I'm thinking about like a special program that allows Sabebe to jack into the Matrix and she just looks like Sebebe in there.
0: (laughs) She is still just the the big bug uh, floating around. Anyway. The Matrix Resurrections is a sequel to the PlayStation 2 video game, The Matrix Path of Neo. (laughs) Hannah, would you like to tell me your sort of relationship with the Matrix series?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's... The first Matrix is probably the movie that I've seen the most times in my life. Um, Most of them, like, when I was, like, ages 9 through 12. Um, I was definitely, like, at the right age for it at the time that it came out. Somebody who was just, like, obsessed with the cool guy shit and the guns and the lots of guns and the, the cool, sexy Trinity outfits. And, you know, there was also philosophy there. I definitely had, like... A book uh that my brother pr- bought for me that was called like The Matrix and Philosophy, and it was a bunch of essays th- about like you know different philosophical principles and how they tie it to the movie. I remember one essay in that book was just talking shit about Matrix and saying that David Cronenberg's existence was much better movie, and I just remember being so fucking mad at that <laughs> at like age ten, just being like how dare you (laughs) you snuck into this book with false premises so i was like really really into that when i was a kid um and then i think mostly like i cooled on it over time you know i don't think that i really had that much of an attachment to it until pretty recently um i definitely remember kind of like rolling my eyes a lot at the the sort of like hey did you know that the matrix is about being trans Did you know that the red pill is, like, estrogen? Like, those types of readings definitely, like, made me less likely or less inclined to like the movie. But then I simply watched it again in the last couple years, and I was like, oh, this is a way more bitter and thorny and interesting movie than all those, like, affirming you-can-just-be-a-girl memes about it suggest. Um, so now I love The Matrix again, and The Matrix Reloaded is probably like set piece for set piece, the best
0: action movie of the, tw- uh, the 2000s. Esther, how about your relationship with the series?
2: Yeah, um, I think The Matrix was probably my the first R-rated movie I ever saw, if I had to guess. Um, like, I was super sheltered when I was a kid, and- it, only- it came out when you were five. Did you see it when you were five in theaters? No. <laughs>
1: Did you just, did you and another kid just like hop into a trench coat in order to see this movie? No,
2: but I do. hmm, I have a story about that I could tell in a second. But yeah, um, (laughs) no, I rented it like on DVD or VHS from the library, I think, Um, because that was a way that I could get around my parents because they, you know, obviously had to watch it in secret still, but at least I could like check it out and they wouldn't know um, and of course it like completely blew my mind because it's the matrix and when you're like 12 years old that's what it does um, and even then I remember liking Reloaded a lot um, Revolutions was the one that like I get war- I warm on it every time I see it but back then I remember thinking like man this Zion battle is going on for like an hour mm-hmm. and every time I rewatch it that's still the case um, it still goes on <laughs> fucking forever and it's really not good but I grow to like the other stuff in that movie a lot more. But yeah, I mean, I, I, and just so I, because I teased it, I should say, when I was in like third grade, um, I heard that one of my, one of my friends said that he had gone to see The Matrix Reloaded in theaters. And I got so mad at him for lying because I said, you're a kid, you're not allowed to see R-rated movies in theaters. <laughs> But his mom had taken him and I got so mad and upset that they had to call my mom to come into the school um, because I would not calm down because this kid had told me he got to see The Matrix Reloaded.
1: You're just like uh, young Clark Kent in Man of Steel. It
2: was basically that exact scene. (laughs) Like literally.
1: You used your heat
2: vision. Yeah. (laughs) In a very like autistic coded way. Yeah. The world is too big uh, and full of people who get to see R-rated movies. Yeah. Um... (laughs) Yeah, that that's me with the Matrix. Like, and like Hannah, you know, the trans stuff was definitely like I remember trying to. Ex- the thing about the trans stuff in the original Matrix is that, like, I think people like us who are very smart and erudite trans people can like mm. uh, approach the Matrix and say, "Yeah, that reading is the the popular reading of it. It doesn't really do justice to like how nuanced and uh, how many darker shades that, that metaphor, that allegory, actually has." That being said, I will never forget the time I tried to explain to my therapist pre-transition. Well, did you know the Matrix is a trans metaphor, and she was like, "Yeah, okay, if you like, be you know." Even the level that we can agree is a little simplistic, since yeah. people just don't fucking get it or accept it or understand it. So, like, mm-hmm. and I, I think it is a little telling, basically, that
1: like every time like a normie trans girl, um, like does one of those viral threads, it's like, hey. Important note, the Matrix is trans, and a trans woman is trans. Mm -hmm. There's, like, a a bunch of, like, you know, guys with anime tit avatars and three followers in her replies just being like, This isn't real, you're fucking gay.
2: (laughs) That's what's so funny about when the Wachowskis, a couple years ago, they were like, We're finally coming out and saying it. Yes, we always intended for it to be a trans metaphor. And, like... I'm going to say in, in current company, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I don't think they were sat down to write The Matrix 1 in 1998 and were like, we're going to get all our secret feelings. Like, I, you know, I think it was much more the case of like they were just two closeted trans people who knew they were trans and what they were feeling at that time just came out in what they were writing. That's yeah. That happens all the fucking time with all kinds of artists. But like, I can see why they felt the need to do that just to counter the people who were like, that's bullshit. They didn't intend that. Like I understand why they felt like they had to say, no, we totally intended it all along.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the the thing I know this a lot with the popular trans understanding of the Matrix is people talk about the same couple of things a lot like oh the red pill is estrogen uh, mr anderson is a dead name but then the most trans aspects of the movie to me are things that people never talk about which is when smith is interrogating morpheus
1: yeah right Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) because that is not trans in like a fun beat up the transphobes way that is trans in a Here's like a deeply closeted, self-loathing trans person.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I I think that the thing that kind of like made me really love the movie. Um, and and to be clear, this was when I went to see it in theaters for the 20th anniversary, uh, dressed as Trinity. Um, which is wild to do because I didn't really like The Matrix at the time. I was just <laughs> that much of a dumb slut. Um, but. I'm watching it, and the thing that really struck me was Cipher, and specifically his relationship with Neo. Um, Because again, like if we're doing the simplistic, you know, the red pill is estrogen, dead name is bad, uh, type of reading, then like you know, you see people be like, "Oh, Cipher is like a detransitioner, which are bad." He's like Blair White, who's Republican. It's just (laughs) like, man, I don't, I don't, I think that metaphor got away from you for a sec. But what really struck me. Was that like when Neo, um, you know, awakens on the Nebuchadnezzar, he's like fucking miserable um, and spends like the next half hour of the movie um, either having like these brief moments of like, oh, cool, I can do Kung Fu now. Or just like wandering around or more likely like having people wander up to him and, you know, just deliver these like monologues about how important he is while he's just like clearly fucking hating it here and Cypher is the first person that like he actually relates to. Like they have an honest conversation about like, yeah, what you walked into kind of fucking sucks and like I feel for you on that and you know, here's how to like survive in this like dumbass life that we both chose. Um and that just really fucking broke my heart because like it's not just a movie about transitioning and I think that like for the fact that, like, it can be used to, like, you know, provide trans awakenings and inspire, like, you know, a 16-year-old uh, trans flag picru, um person to, like, you know, come out and understand herself, like, that's great. That's awesome. But what the movie fundamentally is, is being a 35-year-old who either like doesn't know at all about transness at this point or like thinks that it's completely inaccessible to them who thinks that like the world has like already left them behind and they missed their chance for their great revelation you know like neo being told like oh we usually don't free minds this old like you know you're you're too like hardwired into the old system like there's an incredible amount of like bitterness at, at how well this seems to be working out for everyone but you Um, that I think is, like, very cool to grapple with. Um, And these are movies that, like, don't necessarily have the greatest and most uplifting things to say about being trans. And that's why I fucking love them.
0: Yeah, the thing that this movie is ultimately going to pause is that the, the real heart of The Matrix is the Trinity and Neo relationship. And I, I went back to watch the first movie after I watched and talked about this one. And it it really stuck out to me, like how much Trinity clearly likes Neo, but is like, doesn't really believe that she deserves love or could be loved back
1: yeah absolutely um yeah God, the matrix four you should probably
2: talk about that movie it's a pretty
1: good movie <laughs> um yeah do we do we have any kind of like just you know intro to, to to frame it or are we all kind of just like assuming that people know what we mean when we talk about the matrix resurrections <laughs>
0: I hope so. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm assume if you're listening to this, you've watched the movie. If not, go watch it. Then have some opinions of your own before you re- uh, listen to this.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, we are going to
0: be like spoiling fucking everything.
1: But to your point, I remember you like posting about this on Twitter. Um, and this was like one of the insights that actually made me be like, oh shit, like Crystal's really smart about this movie. Me and Esther should like talk to her about it. <laughs> <laughs> It was early on in the movie. Neo is back in the Matrix and he's a video game designer in this one, blah, blah, blah. His company made the successful Matrix trilogy and now they're being told by the studio that they got to do a fourth and he's not really into the idea. And there's this absolutely heartbreaking montage where people just like tell him or talk around him about like what the Matrix is. And what I remember you noting is that like of all the things that are brought up in that. List none of them say that it's about the relationship between Neo and Trinity. And I thought that exclusion was fascinating.
2: I completely agree. I was really struck by that observation as well. It is. I mean, one of the most interesting things about that scene is how, like, I mean, if we can talk about the ways in which, like, that five minute stretch of the movie just fucking completely consumed ninety nine percent of the discourse around it and the ways that yeah. people analyzed it. When, like, obviously, it is important to what the movie is trying to say but it is not like the movie is not about being meta it is not just a not wholly just an allegory for its own production um and its own existence um that is a small aspect of it that sort of only exists in how it plays into the more important things that the film is trying to say which we'll get into but i do think it's like it's really interesting that like in that scene, one of when everyone is kind of tossing out what is the Matrix about, the first thing someone says is trans politics. I tweeted about this, but I just love the phrasing there because, like, mm. obviously, I don't think that the film is trying to say like, oh, when people talk about this movie in relation to uh, any kind of trans allegory, that's just like facetious and it's it's you know reading too much into it and it doesn't really matter or whatever. I don't think it's saying that at all. I think that the using the usage of the phrase trans politics in a room full of presumably cisgender people um, who are being tasked with making this new movie. What, what, what is it,
1: What if they're not cisgender though? What if it is all just like uh, Lana's like statement about how much she hates trans men? <laughs> and there's cool. like a secret director's cut where it's like Mortal Kombat X-ray vision, and you just see that all of them have <laughs> <laughs>
2: pussies. <laughs> She's like, oh, they're disgusting. <laughs> they don't understand my movie. That's what my my friend Spencer was joking before the movie came out that it would be really funny if um what the Matrix Four ended up being about was Lana Wachowski is like a trans medicalist. And she, <laughs> the metaphor here is that you have to take HRT to be trans. <laughs> but no, yeah, it's like it's really funny that like the idea that the movie would be about trans politics because that's the o- the only way that someone like that. Is capable of seeing trans people is through like yeah. a political argument um so obviously you know it doesn't refute that uh lens of analysis but it's absolutely true that like i think the absence of neo and trinity's relationship which drives like so much of the drama and the conflict and like just like the 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 evolution of the narrative of the first three films like if you go back and look at what actually happens in those movies, almost yeah. all of it has something to do with Neo and Trinity and... Like, Mama every big decision
1: other. point yeah, is just based on their love for each other.
2: Particularly the end of Reloaded, which is, like, the crux that the whole quadrilogy hinges on literally Mm -hmm. um is neo making the choice to save her and not participate in this you know grand design that he's been created for
1: yeah uh very quick uh i just want to highlight another of the things that was listed as what is the matrix about in that montage uh which was i believe the phrasing was philosophy in shiny type pvc and i just want to be abundantly clear if i was like 20% more insufferable than I already am, I would have tried and failed to make that YouTube channel happen sometime in like 2019.
0: (laughs) The thing I feel like people are are missing about that montage is all of the things they are describing are appeals of the Matrix. I do like people wearing leather and giving philosophy monologues and big, dumb action scenes on the highway. That's cool. But yeah. Esther, it was actually your tweet that I read like an hour before I saw this movie that said, this is, this is a movie that like completes The Matrix as a series and the other films are incomplete without it. Mm. And when yeah. I read that, I was like, mm, I don't know about that. But then as I was watching the movie, I was like, no, she's totally right. <laughs> this is a movie that enhances the previous films. Like w- when I watched The Matrix 1 again, and I haven't watched the sequels again after this, it was a better movie. I did focus in more on the things that Lana was telling me were important in this movie, which is the Neo and Trinity relationship. All the most magical the one moments happen when they're together.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely it is it is it's so cool how she just went back because i think it you know i would never have said before seeing the movie that the trilogy felt incomplete like it comes to a conclusion that makes sense and that it feels like conclusive like neo and trinity are fucking dead at the end of revolutions like you have no reason to suspect otherwise except that they take neo's body right and -hmm. then there's the whole thing where the oracle is like i think we'll see him again someday (laughs) Um, which, which is just how you had to end any movie in 2004. Um, yeah, but it's totally like, you know, once you see this movie and the way that Lana just reframes your understanding of what all of the movies are about, like entirely, it's not about the war versus the machines and Zion. Like, it was never about fucking the key master, the key maker, and the mm-hmm. the architect, and all of that stuff. That all played into it, but it was about Neo and Trinity's relationship, yeah. and you can't end their story with one of them, like, impaled by a million spikes and the other one who's, like, his body exploded or whatever. Um, yeah, they, they, need, they needed to make this movie. Well, Lana Wachowski needed to make this movie.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think that, like if we're talking about other things that this movie is like really um about in a stark and harrowing way um and that kind of like add to the expression of the original trilogy um i did not expect it to be as blunt and powerful as it is about trans suicide mm-hmm. um and i think that the the first moment in the movie basically that like really woke me up and fucked me up was when uh Bugs is watching a window. She's like describing like the moment that awakened her to the nature of the matrix, and she sees Neo jumping off the the roof, killing himself. And that idea of like, and for a, re- a moment, like I saw the real him, and that being used as like this generative moment. I thought that that was like incredibly bold. First off, because like, holy shit, you're not supposed to talk about that, right? Like. You, you if 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 you bring up anything around like this subject then you know it's it's oftentimes kind of like uh seen as you know fodder for like alt-right statistic narratives or whatnot um but just to 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 reframe like what these moments are and like what they lead to in our lives um because like it's I know you had talked about, like, previous conversations that you had had, Crystal, about, like, is it an actual suicide attempt on Neo's part? Like, can we call it that? Or is it more of just, like, this, you know, attempted liberatory act of, like, freeing one's mind from the Matrix that's not consciously self-destructive? Um, and I think that that's a, an interesting question to ask because, like, I feel like the answer is kind of both. Um, and I, I I just feel like there's a lot being done in this movie in that space of like what it means to have the most important revelation of your life curdle into something that feels like there is only one exit from it, you know? Um, and It's so fucking dark. And I'm really glad that the movie went there.
2: Yeah, I think it is. I think it is both right. Because, you know, it's, from a more narrative perspective, we know that Neo has been before the movie begins subconsciously creating avenues of his own escape that's why he makes the modal with morpheus yeah um but absolutely, like the suicide imagery in this movie is crazy.
1: And he did just receive a Game Award,
2: so. Which is one of the worst things that can happen. He's gotta go. You had to meet Jeff Keeley. <laughs> it's
0: so funny to me that Jeff Keeley signed off on this movie where receiving a Game Award makes you realize the <laughs> emptiness of your life.
2: It's so cool that you, when, when they showed the real Game Award statue, I lost my shit. I was like, that's. Uh what okay anyway <laughs> uh,
1: alternate cut where uh, instead of like jumping off the building uh Neo
2: just like kind of casually tosses his game award <laughs> off the side <laughs> of the building and that's what awakens bugs <laughs> Um, but yeah, like the, the whole climax of this movie is Neo and Trinity trying to having finally woken Trinity up, trying to escape on the motorcycle. And there's just bodies fucking jumping out of buildings all around them, trying to stop them. It's one of them. It's one of the most like shocking, striking images that I can think of in any film I've seen in like years. Mm -hmm. It's so, so bold and just like, you know. Uh, it's like, it shook me, especially on rewatch when I was f- more kind of grasping and able to understand what the movie was trying to say. And I think like, you know, the Wachowskis were, were like in their twenties when they made the first movie, probably. And neither and they of them- like thirties. Well, that, then that makes more sense. Yeah. And neither of them would transition for another like 10 years. There was, you know, they were both kind of dallying with it at the time. There were page six stories- Uh, famously there were like you know blind items in in tabloids about how those wachowski kids they've been cited with some trans dominatrixes (laughs) (laughs) which is very cute it doesn't (laughs) (laughs) um but it's like the way that like hannah talked about sort of the way that that first movie is more like curdled in how it views uh the act of transition makes total sense when it's coming from a place of like someone who wants to e- knows they are trans and wants to transition maybe feels like they can't and this movie is much more coming from the place of someone who like more has been there mm-hmm. i think who has like seen the other side of it and is now able to see like oh like that didn't that didn't fix everything like yeah. you know the things i was afraid of that was that was feelings that I had in the past. But now that I'm on the other side of it, there's this whole other set of problems and concerns and like, you know, really sad, fucked up stuff that myself and people are, have to live with. Um, You know, like my take on this movie, especially after rewatching it was like, this is about like detransition. This is about people who the world around them, you know, they have feel like they have found themselves or understand themselves and then the world around them says, you know, no, well the the world makes it impossible for them to be who they feel like they want to be or who they feel like they are. Um and that's the situation that Neo and Trinity are in. They're they're stuck back in the matrix and I think it's really like important that, you know, when we meet Neo in the first movie, he's living this double life, right? He has the boring office job but also like he gets to be the hacker neo at night he gets to have this life where he feels like he can be himself and he gets to have that search he gets invited to
1: the club where they spin rob zombie into the prodigy and it's (laughs) extremely 1999
2: (laughs) yeah but in 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 resurrections the the new life that they give him he's not allowed that and he in fact has machine like agents surrounding him all the time preventing that from happening and even when he again i mean i would love to talk about the analyst and his entire plan because it's fucking insane and how cruel it is yeah but um it is so fucking crushingly sad like if you follow the trans allegory throughout these films to like where resurrections brings it It is just devastating, like, what this movie is depicting. But then, just like in The Matrix 1, which, you know, forever thorny we can talk about it is, also has, like, the greatest, most triumphant and uplifting trans moment in any movie. Um, So does this movie have an incredibly uplifting Is it when he goes to punch Smith? But then Smith, like,
1: grabs his wrist, and then he, like, pushes <laughs> his fingers into Smith's throat, and Smith goes...
2: <laughs> no, I was, gonna, I was gonna say it's when they shoot all those security <laughs>
1: That's another important aspect of the Matrix one. Like, I think people have tried to like incorporate it into like radical anti-cop action, and it's like uh, that's wishful thinking, buddy. It is. It's okay, and in fact, kind of good for it to be a movie about like how cool it is to be a school shooter. Yeah. Not saying that being a school shooter is good. It's not. It's bad. But it's cool to have movies that kind of like tap into that.
2: It's a movie about being a kid who like. You and your shitty friends got kicked out of the mall. So you draw pictures of the security guard getting his head cut off in your
1: notebook. Yeah. Yeah. You you touch on a lot of things there, obviously. And I I think that we can spin any of those out into productive discussions. But the one that I want to just highlight very quickly is the most heartbreaking exchange in the movie to me. Um, And one of the most heartbreaking scenes that I've seen in years which is when Neo and Trinity are meeting up at the cafe for the first time. And Trinity is talking about, like, you know, I I looked up your game and I showed it to my husband. And I said, don't you think that she, referring to Trinity, looks like me? And he laughed. And I laughed too. And, you know, I hated myself for it. And that just fucking broke me <laughs> both times that I've seen this movie so far. Um and I'm wondering if if either of you guys have have thoughts about that specific moment
0: yeah i i was i I was pretty hit by all the imagery of they have a conceit in this movie where the way that neo and Trinity see themselves and see each other is not the way that anybody else sees them and every time they cut to like the flashes in the mirror where they look completely different and they seem to be like they seem to be intentionally avoiding looking at their reflections in a lot of scenes in a way that uh i found very relatable
2: yeah the reflection thing is such a such a like Stroke of genius touch, because again, it's like, you have this notion, like, you've already had the revelation, you have reached the fucking mountaintop of enlightenment. And like, you just had to walk all the way back down again. Like, it doesn't matter how you see yourself, because no one around you sees you that way. And that sort of like it, it's just again it's just like uh, the idea of the, di- <laughs> the idea of like the digital self image the DSI in the first movie is one of those tiny little details that's like oh interesting like you the Matrix gives you the freedom to like let other people see you the way you want to be seen right and the way that it just like twists that so much of what the, the what the villain of this movie does is like obviously very blatantly with the bullet time thing like mm-hmm. I'm gonna take all of the ways that you found to empower yourself. And I'm going to make them, like, ways that I can torture you. Yeah. It's... Cr- oh, fuck. It's so good.
1: Yeah. Um. But Before we get off to the, the topic of, like, the the, the images and, like the, like, the physical bodies, um, there's one other point that I want to bring up, which is that, like, it is fucking wild how much this movie is also about being
2: old.
0: Yeah.
1: That's something that really surprised me in a good way. Um, And, you know, I think that, like, less so in recent recent years like i think that like john wick 3 especially was something that kind of like gave the lie to this a bit but there's been this you know like running idea that like oh keon is so ageless like look at this guy from 1800s it's clearly him he's never gonna die he's so youthful this is not a movie about that this is a, a movie that is very much reckoning with and also like finding joy in being fucking old um and i i think that like the ways that um neo and trinity like interact with these like you know weathered like 50 60 year old bodies when they're out of the matrix is like really powerful and gentle but it's also just like you know when we when we think about like neo getting unplugged from a matrix in a first movie it's very much a situation where what he is kind of like unplugged into is like a blank slate like all the the sort of like cool hacker guy aesthetics are just removed and he's kind of just like there as this like very generic template of like uh, a sort of doe-eyed pretty boy um when he gets unplugged in this movie first off sebebe is there so it's better um but second off, and maybe more importantly, like he is weathered in a way that like kind of gets hidden a little bit because, you know, he has like his cool long hair and beard and he has like, he has he has some pretty nice like fashion choices when he's like living in the Matrix, right? But when all of that is stripped away, like what you see is not like a blank slate template anymore. It is someone who has had years and years and years of life and that life is like deeply visible on them um and i i think that like that contrast is so powerful of like oh this isn't a movie about like awakening into a new reality this is a movie about like trying to get back in touch with the revelation you had in the first place and all the things that that means
0: yeah, when I saw Neo in the real world for the first time, I was really struck by, I've, I've never seen Keanu Reeves look this old before, but like, that yeah. that, that, is, that is who he is, and that is who Neo is, and when we saw that again with Neo and Trinity reuniting at the end, and they both look very old, but they're both just like, so happy to see each other.
1: I want to be clear, they both still look really good, but like, you know, they look like really attractive like 50 60 year old people just want to make clear that i'm not like you know shaming or or insulting them or anything like that but please go on
0: a lot of times these kinds of stories are about like trying to be younger or reconnecting with youth because youth is the place where you could have been happy but now it's too late for you you just have to like endure your life as an old person Mm -hmm. but this is a movie where where people who are 57 and look 57 like have their cool romance story in a way that i i don't see very often
1: yeah Mm. absolutely um so there's one very important at least to me character that we haven't brought up like at all yet in this movie uh does anyone know who i'm talking about
2: yes do do you want to say who you're talking
1: uh i am talking about my perfect boy smith that's right um I think, like, who was it who first postulated the idea of trans smith among the three of us? Was it you, Esther?
2: Yes. Yeah. I don't want to jump to take credit, but it was me. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, again, we talk about, like, the ways that, like, the trans allegory of the first three films is, like, flattened. No one who talks about that ever talks about the fact that... uh Smith also has a trans narrative in those movies, no less than Neo does. He has the almost the exact same, like, you know, the dark version of the same arc, basically, where all he wants is, even as far back as the first movie, is to be free, to, you know, not have to be defined by the role that he's been assigned by the system, to um, be able to do whatever... which <laughs> Something that he interprets as just being able to do whatever he wants and, you know turn everyone around him into a clone of himself. And the joke that I made when I sort of was unpacking this is that Smith is the, uh, the trans person who has an eggs cracked counter (laughs) in his bio. He's like the kind of person who's like, uh, you know, everyone else's trans narrative is about me, (laughs) me, me, me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's so cool that this movie, Jonathan Groff is fucking amazing in this movie. And, the way that he plays him as just like an annoying gay guy is so brilliant. It's like this is Smith finally actualized. Yeah, like he is, you know, uh, uh, he is not like bound by this sort of climactic uh, uh, relationship that he has to have with Neo that had to culminate. You know, everything had to play out the way that it did. Um, he just gets to be he, he gets to be a free guy, starring Ryan Reynolds. That's um, right.
0: He's gay Vegeta. He is gay.
2: He is! <laughs> yes, he is. Uh oh, I love him. It's fucking I, I love. Kiss. I love his onceler assed
1: outfit when he <laughs> shows up with the Merovingian and his guys to to fight Neo. He
2: wears a blazer and a t-shirt and sneakers with no socks. <laughs> He's perfect.
1: Which, by the way, uh, I think it was you, Esther, who showed me this, like, interview that Groff did where he was talking about, like, He shows up in his, you know, costume on the first day of filming as Smith. And Lana just looks at him and says, "Mm, I think you're a no-socks guy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's so fucking cool. But I, I think that, like, what you touched on there was, like, very, very important. That, like, this is what the character is when he's not tied to this, like, like, you said, climactic inevitability. Like, his entire pitch to Neo is basically, like... I would like to live my own life, and I don't think that we're bound together by any like necessity anymore like let's just have our own happy lives separately mm-hmm. um and it's It's a tremendous amount of like maturity and growth for this character in a way that I'm like very proud of, yeah. But he's still obviously like a very fun piece of shit.
2: The f- the, f- the first thing he does when he's like awoken, which first of all didn't catch this until my second viewing, he's awoken because he sees Neo and the fire sprinklers, and yeah. then he's reminded of the battle from the end of Revolutions. Mm-hmm. Um, great touch. But I would love that he just starts immediately shooting at him. And then he says, I've missed you. Um, yes. <laughs> because like, he's like, well, clearly whatever's going on here is I have to kill Neo. But also, man, isn't it great that I get to do this now? Um, he's just, he's so perfect. And the way, yeah, the, the fight that they have in the middle of the movie is like, not even premised on uh, them like, being destined to just go against each other all the time like the only reason that they fight is because smith doesn't trust neo to let him take his own revenge on the analyst (laughs)
1: yeah um it's it's so cool to see a character like that get to be happy because like you know I, i i think that like when we watch the original trilogy like through that lens of understanding Smith's narrative as being just as trans. And by the way, we're not calling him Agent Smith, uh, because like he's he's made it like pretty abundantly clear in the text of the movies that like that's just as much of a dead name to him as Thomas Anderson is to Neo. Um which I fucking love. That decision for the character i love that his like grand leap of self-identification and like coming into his own is just saying i'm not agent smith anymore i'm smith like my my revelation moved me exactly six inches it's like good for you man (laughs) um but yeah he he it's so cool to like see a character that you know we've been appreciating the pathos of him in the trilogy um and you know his last words in that trilogy are it isn't fair and like you know it's like okay you fucking drama creed you brought this on yourself just a little (laughs) bit maybe but like no it also is like not fair necessarily right in that like you know he's he's this like character who was freed same as neo from like a really oppressive and restrictive system and just started doing what was natural to him and it just so happened to be like the most dangerous possible thing in the world um and i i like that he's like managed that level of growth um we were also talking of course about how funny it is that he is like the the ceo of the game company that neo (laughs) works at um and uh, if you follow any of us on Twitter, then you might've seen this already, but the concept of like beloved, uh, like E3 personality Smith is something that's not left my head since I watched this movie.
2: God. Yeah. The image of him getting on, on stage at E3 and everyone's clapping and he's announcing new, like a, a new trailer for binary, our new game, uh, from the creators of the matrix, um, <laughs> And then, like the lights flicker, and like the screen in the background, like starts getting like just showing terminal commands. And he's like, "What? Hey, shut, shut it shut down! The, shut this down!" <laughs> and then the lights come back up, and he's like in the in the agent outfit. and He's like, "Back to the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, the Matrix Four is now in production." Which, but by, by the way, another great little like
1: background detail is that, um, like, it's it's kind of well known that Neo put a lot of his life. And a lot of his, like, you know, inner self into this game series, right? Within, like, the construct of this new Matrix. Um, And thus, like, you know, Smith understands full well that, like, oh, yeah, I'm in these games as, like, the most evil (laughs) fuck-up in the world. (laughs) And he seems to love it. Like, his first line in this uh, movie is to quote a line that Smith said in the first Matrix and just be like, I love that line, man. <laughs> you did a great job with how <laughs> And it's it's so cool to like to have that like again representation of a very specific kind of like absolutely annoying trans girl that I love dearly. Um who like sees the most awful character in a piece of art is like, this character is trans and then bottles her life after that character. <laughs> and it's like good for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, Groff Smith is one of the I went into this movie with pretty low expectations. Uh, there were a lot of things in the trailers that rubbed me the wrong way, but it all won me over by the end and I I might even like Groff Smith more than Hugo Weavings and I love Hugo Weavings. Yeah. <laughs> no. I love how he specifically talks about how he loves his appearance and how hot he is now.
2: Yes, he's <laughs> even more perfect yeah he
1: he just like won the lottery basically um and yeah i'm I'm happy to see you know that that he's grown a lot and that he enjoys being awful um and that like he would be the most casual trans woman on twitter <laughs>
2: okay i would love to shift gears to talk about um the other new uh replacement not even well not really in the narrative but a sure, uh, sure, new sure. actor for a classic character in this movie which is Yahya Abdul-Mateen as quote-unquote Morpheus a character who in tribute to uh, the original just kind of stops being in it after the first half of the movie yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah
1: um Crystal could you please uh edit in under this the uh Morpheus Dorpheus song from the Eric Andre show uh because that captures the vibe of this new Morpheus better than anything else could
0: I like this character in a vacuum the way he is used in this movie and the way he like represents the legacy of Morpheus it it kind of runs me the wrong way that this movie positions Neo and Trinity as as the big two yeah and then Morpheus is just kind of off to the side
1: yeah absolutely I I do think that something that I um, noticed on like our recent rewatch of the trilogy, me and Esther was that like, like you said, the Trinity stuff is all like incredibly important, but like Trinity has essentially nothing to do outside of the direct context of Neo Morpheus at the very least gets things to do that are like not immediately mediated through Neo. Um, Like he gets his whole uh, like arc about being kind of like, a crank in Zion, but, like, a beloved crank. Like, someone who is simultaneously in a position of, like, oh, yeah, it's crazy fucking Morpheus, this, like, cult leader who just shows up and diverts all our resources from stuff that actually matters, but also, like, you know, getting, like, deafening applause at the very racially charged rave. But, like, he's... He's a character that, like you said, does kind of just, like, disappear from the second half of this movie. They do very, very interesting things with him. But, like, I I think that it is, like, pretty clear, like you said, that by elevating Neo and Trinity to, like, the big two, that also involves kind of, like, lowering him to, like, a B tier. Um, Which, you know, still gets a lot of cool stuff out of it, but, like, it is a little sad to see. I agree.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, I was on record before this movie came out. A lot of my friends were, like you know, uh, this movie is not going to work. Like, how can you do The Matrix without Laurence Fishburne? And at the time, I was like, you can do The Matrix without Laurence Fishburne. He's amazing in those movies. No doubt about it. Like, him and Hugo Weaving are the most lightning-in-a-bottle performances like you could possibly imagine in any film series. Yeah. But Laurence Fishburne's Morpheus was never key to, like, my appreciation of those movies. And part of it is that, like, he's only... He's, he's he becomes a less and less and less important character as the films go on and i don't think that's like i guess that's kind of a disservice to him but like what those movies are about like it, it what they become about involves him less and less i think and you know the better version of revolutions absolutely has him like taking a key role in that battle and it is even now like 15 years later still p- kind of bizarre that the, the Zion battle just doesn't have any characters we know or care about and that would have been the thing that I would have done with Morpheus in Revolution well, let's not forget the important character of grown ass man <laughs> oh you mean you mean kid who's <laughs> very
1: clearly not a kid it's so cool that every line of dialogue directed toward that character is just like yeah you're a fucking kid you're childish you look six years old and he is the most 30-looking guy imaginable. <laughs> this guy has paid taxes for a while.
2: <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, I, I was I was definitely receptive to what Yaya was going to do with this role. And I love it. Like, I mean, you know, and to be clear, like, it's not really Morpheus. It is a program that is a combination of Morpheus and Smith. And I think, like, he is much closer to Groff Smith than Morpheus, for sure. And I think that, like, if you're uh, Mr. Abdul-Mateen II... And you're saying, <laughs> all right, you have to play Morpheus. <laughs> I so, so admire the choice to just like not do Lawrence Fishburne. And he doesn't like even remotely. And then I actually like there there are gags where he tries to imitate like that gravitas and that like, you know. The the every time he talks, it sounds like there should be like rolling thunder underneath it. because mm-hmm. um, of just the import of it. And he just doesn't. He's just a goofy guy <laughs> who yeah, and, loves having fun and dancing around. But it's 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 I think very important in that as well,
1: is that like he fucking loves being Morpheus. Yeah. And and that's another thing that like ties him into Groff Smith. Like Groff Smith loves being Smith. He is so happy to be cancelled. Yeah. And uh Yahya Abdul Mateen uh Morpheus is so fucking excited to be morpheus which is something that he's not good at
2: and he chooses to be morpheus in the opening scene he's when he's Mm -hmm. kind of talking to bugs in neo's old apartment like because he is a combination of both of these characters him waking up to his reality requires him choosing to identify with morpheus and reject uh agent smith which again is like sets up how neo clearly still feels about smith uh at this point in his life that shifts over the course of the movie. Like this movie's so dense. I'm doing like a hand motion that you can't see, Crystal, where I'm just like <laughs> it's like a wave. It's like all woven together. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, very, very quickly, this is something that I just kind of like realized is an important distinction. Because like, I guess I understood it in like a very literal way, but I don't think that I had really thought about it. Um, which is that this new Morpheus like exists as a you know sentient program um and is the only such character in the entire four movies who is not created by like you know what used to be called the machines right what used to like that that society of digital life um you know we're kind of like led to believe that like yeah obviously they were originally created by humanity but like the point at which humanity stopped being the ones that created them and they just kind of you know had their own culture their own society and were creating and perpetuating themselves that happened a long long time ago this morpheus though is one of these characters that is created by neo in the current year Mm -hmm. which is very interesting as far as like how that separates him from everyone else and it also like very clearly like you know ties the character to like what were neo's influences and shaping him in this particular way like why did he come out so fruity um (laughs) why why does he like you know uh uh act like he's uh you know pretending not to be high uh when he sees (laughs) the other agents um and it's it's a very interesting like this is another piece like again we talk about how he disappears like halfway through the movie Um, a piece that, like, I wish had gotten, like, followed up on more was the fact that, like, he does have resentment towards Neo. Um, He's obviously like, you know, grateful as hell to be Morpheus, but he's
2: also like, dude, you just put me in an endlessly repeating loop where I yeah. was an asshole. What the fuck is wrong with you? Well, because he, ex- he comes out expecting that, like, he's like, finally, I get to be Morpheus. I get to play this role that Neo designed me to so that I can do it. And when yeah. Neo meets him, he's like,
1: fuck off. I'm I, leaving this bathroom. I love Keanu's her performance in that bathroom <laughs> it's scene. So where it's
2: cool. like, no, no, no. He never, no one has let him do that in, like 25 years no he has not gotten to go just like fucking weird mode since like bill and ted
1: yeah not even in like the new bill and
2: ted that they made where he's old yeah because he's old he's old (laughs) he has to be he has to be a little broken down but god yeah it's i i love i love what they do with morpheus and you know yeah I, i wish he was in it more but again like this is it's important that this movie reshifts To being about Neo and Trinity after there's kind of a detour after Neo wakes up. Talk about Io, which is, you know, the Io stuff is one of the things that I do think, like, if there's one thing I don't love about this movie, and it is the one thing, it's the Io stuff. Just because, like, just like kind of a lot of the Zion stuff in the first three movies, it just kind of stops it in its tracks to be Mm -hmm. like... And this is how our society works. This is our little, here's a little taste of our lore. Uh, Would you like to know that we have strawberries? Because we do. If you'd like to learn more
1: about this, uh, please go ahead and uh, play the upcoming Matrix open world third person action game (laughs) featuring the Nemesis system developed by (laughs) Warner Brothers Studios.
2: Yeah, like, you know, I, I wish that I think maybe if they had just cut the scene of the of Niobe's by the you know one second sidebar Niobe's lover question mark in the garden, <laughs> like I think I would have been fine. I do like mm-hmm. what when when Niobe show. First of all, I like that Niobe as an old woman is here I, as like a tie to the trilogy. I think it's cool that the actors that they brought back from the original trilogy are Jada Pickett Smith and the Maravinci. <laughs> I just think that rocks as a
1: choice but like uh shout out to lambert wilson for having a year playing weird fucking guys between this and benedetta
2: yes um <laughs> it's it's um it's so so good i think that like as as a way of like wrapping up morpheus's character from the first three films that it's basically like yeah like because of what you did he was so fully convinced that he was right all along that like it he was just blind to the idea that anything bad could ever happen after that. Like, the idea that, yeah, Neo did end the war with the machines, quote-unquote, but that doesn't... And that's why we got baby. That's why I have baby. That doesn't preclude any other bad things from ever happening again. Yeah. Um. But also, like, what it explores the flip side of that, the idea that Niobe, like... The, she she can't believe in Neo anymore because of what... Because, like, it wasn't permanent. Like, she... Could, and, you know, a great, again, just great small moment was when she talks about how, like, as, as Wachowski-esque hopeful as the ending of Revolutions is. Yeah. Um, she talks about, like, yeah, I just, like, woke up having nightmares about attack sirens for, you know, months and months after the war ended. And I think, like, Wachowskis obviously are cornballs. They always have been. They mm-hmm. love their happy endings. But... I think that that's a great moment that's really indicative of, like, you know, Lana here is very capable of, like, understanding that these big, bombastic, happy moments aren't necessarily the end of anything. Like, there is stuff that comes after that. Yeah.
0: This is where you and I are different because I loved all of the IO stuff.
2: Fair. Fair enough.
0: (laughs) I really liked... The whole Synthian concept and Niobe's speech about how being trapped in the war mentality prevented them from seeing that, oh, the Synthiates also have a hierarchy where, like, a lot of them are also very dissatisfied and feel oppressed and might relate a lot more to the humans, but they are not able to do that because of this constant war. And even having this, like, temporary peace allows them to think differently and make alliances with each other. I was really worried that this whole movie was just... Just going to be riffs on stuff that they did before and i really like that they are moving the status quo forward and doing doing some science fiction
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i so so here's here's something that i really liked about the io piece um which is that like a question that it basically puts is like how much would you need to sell out your dream and Like, that's something that Bugs... uh, We haven't even talked about Bugs. Mm. Um, That's something that, like, Bugs accuses Niobe of doing, basically, of, like, you know, you gave up on the project of freeing minds. You gave up on the project of, like, liberating humanity for the sake of strawberries. And, you know, like, I think that because Bugs is on the team that's going to do the heroic mission that forms, like, the, the backbone of the story, and like we said, it is a story that's first and foremost about the love between Neo and Trinity... Um, that she's kind of, like, portrayed as being kind of in the right there. But I don't think that, like, it's necessarily fully so. And I, I think that, like, the idea of, you know, how much would it take for you to sell out your dreams? Would it be a strawberry? Um, and the answer to that being, like, I mean, kind of, maybe yes? Like, you know, on the one hand, I think it's fair to dismiss that as lib shit. On the other hand, I think it is fair to, like, admire ki- the kind of, like, the, um... You know the honesty in that and i i think of somebody like like laura jane grace for example is somebody who um you know as a musician in like the 90s and the early 2000s like a lot of her music was like really defined by like radical anarchism um and you know that like really just vanished the moment she started like doing songs about trans shit instead And, like, she's spoken about how, like, that part of her life where she, like, identified in in such radical ways is over, in part because, like, this kind of, like, self-fulfillment and and self-actualization that comes with a, like, supported and fulfilling transition um, can dull your hunger for some of these things. And... I don't think that like Naobe is portrayed as somebody who's like evil basically for for kind of like falling into that idea, um which is like an amount of empathy that i'm I'm glad like the movie shows um because again like. If there's one thing that I keep coming back to, this is a series of movies that, like, has a lot of empathy for a whole huge range of imperfect trans perspectives. And that doesn't want to just kind of say, like, there is one correct way to be trans and anything short of that is, like, you know, doing it wrong and failing yourself and failing the world. Um, there are a million imperfect ways to be trans that we do all the time. And it's really nice to see those, I think, like, acknowledge and empathize with.
0: One of the things I like about this movie is that he recognizes things as a process that, like, it, it's not that sometimes, yeah, you do need to go into your lobby with a bunch of guns and shoot all the cops, but you can't keep that up forever. Sometimes you do need to grow some strawberries. It's it's not that these things are, like, always correct all the time. It's it's complicated.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I agree. Like i think that d- ha we win well i, I don't <laughs> i don't agree that the io stuff isn't like bad pacing it's badly paced it is you know it's tough because like the first time i was watching this movie that first 45 minutes is just like it didn't even register to me how sad it was because i was just like what the fuck is this movie even about register like, to me how sad it was i was yeah, you fucking were sobbing crying for and the i was first first that oh man my girlfriend's crying that sucks but i was also like oh fuck you gave it away that we're girlfriends <laughs> i don't think that's a secret that you or shouldn't be to anyone listening this is um,
1: bullshit cut
2: it out cut it out <laughs> all
1: right please continue
2: anyway <laughs> yeah like the, the first 45 minutes is just so like perfectly structured to sort of like not reveal anything and, until you get that final kind of moment of understanding that isn't really a final moment of understanding because like what the backstory gets doled out over the next over the you know 90 minutes like or whatever that come after that you know you get you don't get this stuff with the analyst until much later after all the IO stuff so it did like I do feel that like Neo waking up and getting put on the ship and then having the fight with Morpheus um everything up to that point I was just like fuck like yes like I still don't really get what is going on or what this movie is about yet. But I'm like, I love how it's stringing me along. And then the IO stuff was kind of like, Uh, you know, like I I, I want to get back to Trinity. I want to like, <laughs> I, I you know, I felt like that urgency that Neo does of just like she's fucking, she's in there, and we gotta get her out. We gotta go get her. <laughs> but anyway, I do agree that it's interesting that like the way that it positions Niobe is like not necessarily certainly not a bad person for what she did, but as like, it is a very honest depiction of someone who um, you know, in that Gen X way, like, gave up the, re- the project of the revolution because you got yours, basically. You got a way to feel like you are safe, and you are secure, and you and your people will be through, into the future. So, like, the risk that is associated with, you know, the revolution, quote yeah. unquote, is something that you're no longer, no longer feels like it's a good decision for you. You know who takes risks? Sababe
1: takes risks. She, she had a does. she had a job at the pods, at the Matrix
2: pods, and she quit her job, got fired from yeah. her job. She went into the secret back room that only the manager's supposed to be allowed in. Yeah. And she got fired, but it's worth yeah, it yeah. because she, there was a was,
1: guy in there. She was just smoking mids and eating like <laughs> baked lays in the secret back room. <laughs> and, and that got Neo.
2: I love the idea of Sabebe like She's like, um, she's like a spy for the for the nemeside, but also she just like has to go to work. She's like, this sucks. <laughs> I hate my job at the pods. Well, that's what. Oh my god, we were talking about how
1: Neo doesn't have the double life in this one. You know who does? Is it's Sababe. the baby. She has a double
2: life. <laughs> she's the new Neo. Ah, the baby is a
0: perfect character.
2: Yeah, she's um, very round. I want a. Pl- Big plush of Sabebe that I can just have and hold.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm also now enamored with the idea of Sabebe also being a fan of the Matrix path of Neo, like all the other characters are. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) she's the one that relates to Neo. She kins Neo. Yeah,
1: yeah, Um, yeah. There's okay. There are a lot of characters in this movie uh, that speak with a certain type of like hyper modern like quippy inflection. Um, You know, I. I apologize in a sense for calling it this because like I know that it's like a very charged term uh I promise I'm not alt-right and that I don't believe any of the conspiracies attached to this but it's like soy banter right like that's that's just like a, a an understood way to like refer to it um a lot of characters in this movie talk like that and that was something that I was like really worrying about the first time I was watching the movie um but it's I think that, like, for the vast majority of characters that, like, kind of have those speech patterns, like, it really works. Like, I certainly don't mind that Smith talks like that at this point. I certainly don't mind that, like, New Morpheus talks like that. Um, And I especially don't mind. And I think it's, in fact, really fucking funny that uh, this character that we've mentioned a few times but have been kind of dancing around, The Analyst, talks like that. Um, Esther, how do you feel about The Analyst? (laughs)
2: Um, I hate him. I think he's, like, you know, the Wachowskis villains, I think, are not something that has ever really been their forte. Obviously Smith, but he is, like, he more of, like, you know, the alternate protagonist, basically. Like, he comes into conflict with Neo, but he is not, like, he's only incidentally a villain because the thing that he wants happens to involve destroying every human. Yeah. Um, And, like, the villains in, like, the villain in Speed Racer is named, like he might as well be named like dr rotten um he's (laughs) he owns a company called sinestro foods yeah like you know like just by the nature of the kinds of movies they make the villains tend to be extremely like broad um and the analyst is not the analyst is one of the most like cutting and vicious and cruel villain characters that i can even think of in any movie and the idea that like so i'm just gonna like I'm again presuming you've seen the movie already, right? But I just want to, for the sake of contextualizing the that comment, lay out what the analyst did um, and like what his whole operation was. Yeah, I haven't seen the movie, so go okay, ahead. So let me explain to you. So you know, Neil, um, you, you know, gay guys. Um, uh, yeah, I know gay guys. Do you so who's the one you know? Eli, not our friend Eli. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> walk right
1: into that one, he's asshole. He's not listening to
2: this, by the way. There's no way he's listening to this. Um, anyway, Neil Patrick Harris. Um, he, is this, he plays this, this program called The Analyst. And the, the idea is basically, like, after the war with Zion ended, the machines, like, completely splintered. They had this, like, st- what? Sorry, I'm just laughing at my own jokes still. <laughs> Please God. go on you yeah, know, they had, there's this machine of war and um, the faction that won was led by the analyst because he had this realization that like the way that the architect uh, who we know from the previous films had designed the matrix was that like, It was entirely built on these sort of logical understandings of human behavior. And it was... It completely belied, you know, human emotions. The idea was, like, we need to, like, pinpoint precise design this world for the purpose of people, like, not waking up, basically. And what the analyst realized was, oh, well, you know, remembering that the point of all of this is that the humans are providing, like, energy for the machines. If we, like, manipulate their emotions, like, we can get way more fucking battery charge out of them um and there's this amazing moment where like he's he has this great line that's like do you ever wonder why you have nightmares that's us boosting your efficiency and it's like you know i think there are so many people who like think they're being gang stalked by the cia who probably watched that and were like holy fuck (laughs) um but it's like the the real depth of the cruelty is the idea that like They get most of their energy from Neo and Trinity, and he has basically set up this, like, this, like, torture hell for them, where they are in these completely deadening, miserable lives, and they can, like, only ever brush up against each other. They can never be together because the idea is, like, you know, longing and despair and hopelessness. These emotions actually provide more energy. (laughs) <laughs> Which is like again, it's a crazy, crazy like way to go about this metaphor, but it is so so it's affecting a, it. was and a brilliant. metaphor first scene in Monsters Incorporated. Yeah, it's basically a ripoff of Monsters Incorporated. Um but just this idea that like we have to just put you in proximity to each other such that uh you get You know, you can get close, but only close enough to feel terrible that you can't, like, consummate your feelings for each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just remember watching that the first time and being like, that's, that is awful. Like, that sucks that is a for a movie like this from this filmmaker like a shockingly brutal and like mean thing for a villain to do like it is not just he's not just a villain who's like my plan is i'm going to take over the world because i want power like he is a fucking uh you know he is like he's like pete Buttigieg basically he's like this (laughs) completely bloodless washington psycho who's like you know if we cut six percent of poor people's heads off then like the the deficit will drop by 3.2 points
1: uh judge saw the scene with the um like shooting the gun in slow motion through the apple and he's just like oh i need to do this to chase it like
2: <laughs> <laughs> i can probably do that uh and i do want to, by the way quick aside the way that that scene looks is like nothing i've ever seen in any it's movie it's so like, good ever yeah. The way that they shot it at two different speeds with two different cameras so that it it's looks so cool. like Neo, so that Neo is like moving very, very slowly, but the analyst is like, it looks like he's like being fast forwarded. It's so, it's the coolest looking shit. And it's ugh. anyway, the
0: analyst. This might be the first movie I've seen that actually successfully pulls off saying that you're on your phone too much because what the <laughs> analyst has invented is a matrix that runs on doom scrolling. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, yes. I mean literally, like it's such a it's such a brilliant like evolution of the idea, you know, the architect people make fun of have made fun of the architect scene for years mostly because they're wrong, just too wrong, yeah, rules. it was just, they're just they're just too stupid to understand like the words that he's saying. So you got that Will Farrell parody where he was just saying a bunch of big words and it's like this is only funny if you admit that you are too dumb to know what that scene was about. Like No, it's funny, but like it's funny because those words are good and he should say them. <laughs> but i just love the idea of like the architect who's someone who is like um he's like the pre-2000s like president he's like the uh he's like um i don't even know who to compare him to um, obviously colonel sanders well he's but... uh yes he's like the colonel sanders yeah. but
1: but no I, I i think that what you're getting at here is this idea that like both in terms of like the old architect and the old kind of like structure of what agents are it is very much um Based on, like, an extremely 90s-esque understanding of what corporate culture is. Yes. Um, It is being in a cubicle and seeing that as the worst fucking thing in the world, (laughs) where it's like, I'm sorry, everyone that I know with an office job, like, fucking wishes they had a cubicle. So it could sense (laughs) of, like, private space and, like, ability to, like, turn your back and not be, like, approached by five people and just being like, hey, what's up? You like Game of Thrones? (laughs) Um, But... Yeah, it's, it's, those are very 90s conceptions of it, right? Like, agents in their, you know, monochrome suits and monotone voices and the architect with this, like, perfect logic and this idea that, like, you're a cog in an endless machinery that, like, does not care about you and does not care about your feelings. Um You know, as somebody who has spent time uh, getting abused by, uh, you know, white collar executives in the 2010s, I can tell you that the way that this uh, movie portrays them is uh, very, very accurate. Um, You know, I can tell you that there were like very kind of like hip, um, you know, blazer or like sweater and, uh, you know, like tie under the sweater, like combo wearing gay guys who like made me work 100 hours a week um like who it isn't that they didn't care about like you know the feelings that i had it's just that like oh yeah we've done the calculations and like this is the right amount of depressed for you to be <laughs> um yeah and it's it's very like interesting how like you know what are the new agents like you said it's it's like um like, the epic fat friend, you know? It is, uh, like, all the people in your, like, office life that are kind of, like, kind of your
2: friends, but also kind of annoying, but, like, you put up with them. It's the guy who, like, walks up to you while you're trying to work and says, did you see Game of Thrones last night?
1: Yeah, for sure. It's, and you know what I think that, like, it really is, is, like, one of the... Again, 90s, the idea of like the 9 to 5 was like seen as this like horrible drudgery that like you did anything to escape from. You lived your double life to escape from. A 9 to 5 would be fucking amazing <laughs> for so many workers right now. Um because like, you know, again, if you're not in a white collar situation, then you know you often have to work like multiple jobs or like take shifts at like really fucked up hours in order to like make your ends meet. And if you are working a white collar situation, uh, like the Matrix Milia has always kind of been about, um, then there is no such thing as like off work times anymore, right? Like work life balance is a does not exist anymore. You are constantly answering emails on weekends and like you know your work friends are encouraged to be your real friends you're supposed to have like happy hours and like go to axe throwing bars with like some asshole from columbia that you don't really like um i'm speaking from experience here i want to be clear <laughs> if this is seeming like very like oh head, i think you're talking about one person here and it's you that it's like yeah guilty as <laughs> charged but yeah, it it is like a movie that's very astute about like the evolutions of like what is soul crushing about corporate culture at this point. And it's the idea that like yeah, corporate culture in the 2010s and 2020s understands that you have emotions. It loves that you have emotions.
2: It can use those to wrap a noose around you. Well, it's also like cuz the analyst is about the character is about all of that, but he is also absolutely about like what you alluded to earlier. The ways that people like that, the, you know, the liberal management class has made everything about like therapy language mm-hmm. where it's like, I, you know, people like, I think you really gaslighted me by like leaving the sink on for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I really have a lot of trauma from when I missed my bus this morning yeah. um, and like. The I know a lot of people. It'll who would, be a
1: good way for you to reclaim power to like
2: <laughs> you know step up and take the second project on. <laughs> <laughs> I think we really need to like let you occupy like space um with your body by letting you work overtime. Yeah. Um but no, it's like I know when that first trailer dropped and the first line in it is someone saying, uh, you know, Thomas, you seem particularly triggered right now. People are yeah. like, "Oh great, like it's a this is just the soy movie now." And it's like that is what that movie that is what that scene is about, right? Is about this guy who is like trying to flatten this, you know, everything that Neo is experiencing into like this completely bloodless and like anodyne language that doesn't help anyone to like talk about what he's experiencing this way mm-hmm. um and again like there's this amazing scene where like neo has begins having like hallucinations when he's talking to smith because just talking to smith for five seconds makes him have a panic attack <laughs> yeah. um, and well, he's- me too buddy <laughs> And when he goes and, like, you know, talks to the analyst about this, who at this point is, like, he just thinks this is his therapist. He's like, actually, I think it's good that you, like, had a complete meltdown at work. I think it shows that you're really growing, that, like, you were terrified Mm -hmm. um, and you didn't know what to do and you just had to run to, like, me. Um, I think it's good that you just come to me and pay me a lot of money. Yeah. (laughs) I, I want to be
1: clear, like when I talk about like my current work, like I like my work. Um, there's nothing like virtuous about it. There's nothing virtuous about like any office job unless you're, you know, like actively helping people like a social worker or some shit. But um, it's fun. It pays good. Uh, it doesn't overwork me anymore. That all being said, I do want to say that literally today we had a meeting that was on our calendar that was like a mindfulness seminar. And it was a guy who talked exactly like the analyst, just talking about <laughs> like finding the balance between happiness and sadness for, <laughs> for 30 minutes and being like, you don't
2: want to be too happy because then the come down is going to come and get you. It's, it's so good that, you know, in the fucking in the Ted Lasso world, that we currently occupy where every movie and TV show is expected to be about like um, this week on uh, Ted Lasso. Ted uh, talks about his trauma and he makes, takes steps to overcoming it. Yeah. And that's just what everything is now. Yeah, we
1: we have a a reboot of Clarissa Explains It All that's about
2: like Clarissa's explaining her various like DSM diagnoses. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I just love that. Like the Matrix is like, actually, uh, you should uh, beat up your therapist. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah the, if if the first movie is in part about being like, actually, like you know, being a buddy school shooter is kind of cool. Like the, the this movie is about like, yeah, you you should do Mortal Combat fatalities on your therapist <laughs> because he says some shit that annoyed you. <laughs>
0: There's also something there with the way that the analyst keeps talking about getting the numbers up in a way that the architect never did.
1: Yeah, the architect is all about like status quo. Like it's it's already perfect. We're already end of history and all we have to do is loop it.
0: And the architect has such a surplus of humans that as long as the thing runs, we don't need to give them nightmares to boost it by 2%. But now the rate of profit has fallen a bit, so...
2: Yeah, because the architect is coming from this perspective of, like, you know, we failed and failed over and over again, and now we found something that works, so we're just going to keep doing it. And it's so funny, yeah, from the 90s perspective, it's like, oh, this fucking endless drudgery, the constant cycle over and over. From today's perspective, it's like, you know, now the world is run by people who will, like... You know, take over a completely functional company and be like, "Oh, this thing is not
1: generating the rate of profit that we expect. Yeah. What if we just like fucking destroy it?
2: I remember I think it was um the I was the the dead spin people, yeah who now run the site defector who got like completely fucked by some venture capitalist buying their website and destroying it they were they basically said like when that happened, they were having discussions with the buyers being like, Yeah, our plan is you know." We right now we everything runs pretty well. We make profit every year and there's we're just gonna basically keep going with that. And these like rich guys just literally didn't understand what they were talking about. They were like, What do you mean you just like you know, you don't have plans for like growth? It's like, well no, like it's everything's working right now. Like <laughs> everything's working fine. Yeah. Um, we're just gonna keep doing what we're doing and we'll all be happy. And these guys were like, No, like we have to do moneyball to you to like completely <laughs> and then just tear, you know, rip out your company like we're making a bread bowl Uh, and like because we think we can make, I could go for bread bowl too Uh, we think we can make like 1% more profit off your like, off your skeleton Um, yeah it's like, it's fucked and it's so smart the way that Lana like made that turn in this year's later sequel which again, I just want to make a broad statement on that point, none of the fucking legacy sequels that have come out or will continue to come out in like upcoming years are going to be even a fraction as good as this they're all going to they all feel unnecessary they all feel like oh we're just doing the old stuff again like this came out a month after Ghostbusters Afterlife (laughs) and I didn't see it but I can only imagine the contrast is like stark that came out? That came out. uh, The countdown to Muncher ended.
0: I'm so happy that I'm not really plugged into like film culture or film Twitter or film discourse. I just watch movies that my friends like. Sounds nice. (laughs) Uh, If there's one thing Esther loves, it's when she goes
1: to like any repertory theater in New York and like two separate guys like walk up to her and it's like, hey, I'm sorry for being weird, but I follow you on Twitter. Oh,
2: no. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's happened many times. Yeah. Yeah. I also love like having, you know, 10,000 followers now and every and I can't talk about anything without people being like, when are you going to review Don't Look Up? It's like, (laughs) I'm not going to watch that. First of all. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do know, like, write a letterbox post about it, but I- I'm not going to continue to have this line of thought because I'll sound like such a shithead, but yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it'll, it'll sound like uh, Neo in the first act. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I-, I do think that, like, to what you were saying, um, Crystal, like, the-, the whole idea of, like, the, the analyst is that, like, what does this system turn to when the rate of profit is always falling um, is really fucking cruel um because like yeah it, it it is about like you know these systems like fundamentally eating themselves and i think it's like a great coda for that for the character um where like after neo and trinity both escape they show up at his you know apartment in the matrix and they're like huh i thought they would have like you know deleted you already and he's like oh no i'm never gonna suffer any consequences for this. <laughs> and like it's true like he's not that's just not how this shit works yeah
2: yeah, because what the analyst says, like, you know, no, I, I talked to, like, my bosses and I convinced them that, like, don't worry, I we're going to figure this out. Like, yeah, I know exactly how to manipulate them. There's one thing when I was another podcast that I was on talking about this, like one of the hosts basically was like, I they said, I don't really get why, um, you know, a character who with infinite, like, omniscience and power, like the analyst wouldn't just, like, snap his fingers and make everything the way he wants to as soon as Neo gets out. And the answer is, as the analyst says, like, no, like, I I am so fully committed to the idea that I can just make these adjustments and make get us on the most efficient path for, like, growth and keep breaking quarterly records that um, I don't have to. Like, I believe so strongly that I can manipulate Neo's emotions and Trinity's that mm-hmm. I don't even need to, like, use the godlike power that I have, because what would be the point? It would be a waste of my energy, um, and that fucks him up because in the one ama- an amazing detail, Smith is the only character who is just <laughs> immune to the bullet time thing. I love the sound effect when he slaps the gun out of
1: his
0: head and it like kind of echoes as if like it's been sped <laughs> up. <laughs> the analyst deleted all the agents, so he didn't account for Smith. That's right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. And there was apparently, I, I heard basically like there was a cut moment from the- fight with the exiles where one of them was supposed to be one of the agents from the highway fight okay um uh i think the actor is daniel bernhardt but yeah that was supposed to be an indication of like yeah the agents as we knew them literally just don't exist anymore in this matrix
1: yeah um which like you know i do think that like one of the things that that leads to is that um like outside of the final set piece which i think is like toe-to-toe with almost anything in the trilogy um like the action in most of this just isn't very good um i think that that's fine i think that it's like much less of an action movie than it's ever been um and it was also clear that for example like by the time revolutions happened they were just kind of like running out of ideas for set pieces anyway and we're just like yeah like go and watch the coat room fight in (laughs) revolutions which is the most like time filler shit i've ever seen i don't
2: know what if we did the lobby one again but like they're upside down
1: yeah it's it's like instead of how it's cool to just like kill 50 guys in a lobby it's about like all right what if you're just in a room where there's like four leather dudes who are on the ceiling (laughs) and they very slowly shoot guns at you
0: i'm overall uh pro their choice to deprioritize action because they want to prove this is actually a romance
1: yeah 100%
0: I I, I really like the, the scene where Morpheus is first trying to free Neo and he's like he's doing a Matrix fight scene in the background but the camera is not focused on him <laughs> it's focused on Neo just
2: Neo like <laughs> falling over it's slipping on the on the puddles and shit
1: you're right that 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 is such a good gag that he's doing matrix one fights <laughs> while neo is just like you know slipping on banana peels <laughs> and like smith is just like looking at him and like in this like hypnotized voice being like you gay bro. <laughs>
2: But right, even that carries over to the train fight because Neo in that scene, everyone is doing Matrix shit around him. And he's just like trying to do kung fu poses and like falling over drunk <laughs> from the pill. Um, I will uh, the one place I will play devil's advocate is like I do agree that I think there was a conscious effort to move away from the very stylized action of the first three films and focus more on uh, character. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, you know. There's still a lot of action in this movie, and if that yeah. was the intent, you didn't have to do all that action. I don't know that I fully believe that, but like that is my devil's advocate statement of like, if Lana really wanted to shift away from this being an action movie, you probably could have cut some of these action sequences. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: In particular, the last one, and I think the Exiles fight are the ones where I felt like, this this could be shorter.
2: The the last one, the the, the bike chase, I adore. That's like top three set pieces in the series for me i do think the exiles one though which i'm not counting the yeah. smith and neo fight because i think that's great but the rest of the gang fighting the exiles i agree like you know there's a little much of that and it's yeah. not super interesting
1: what i'll say for the exiles fight is that like like you said us are like there's cool character stuff that happens in these action sequences and i think a great example of that is that like the choreography in the exiles fight like kind of fucking sucks um it's you know clear that again this is just not something that Lana cares about in the same way that she used to, um, which like more power to her. Uh, but there's a really great character moment in that whole um, Exiles sequence, uh, which is when Smith just starts his like slow walk towards Neo to like spear him into the bathroom. Um, and you just get these multiple shots of like the entire crew of the and just like jumping off of <laughs> platforms the moment they see him approaching you're like nope not not gonna fight this right now <laughs> um and it's it's really cool to uh that like you know there's just that like slow menacing walk but of course like for some reason that i still know kung fu line is like delivered in the middle of that slow walk so it's like again it is not nearly as like tightly paced and tightly choreographed and and like meticulously constructed as something like you know the iconic subway fight in the first movie is um but it still has cool stuff in it
2: yeah Uh,
0: one cool bit i really liked near the end was um there's a moment where neo is like gearing up to use his force push and it quickly cuts from him like pushing his hands forward to his body in the chair in the real world like kind of also moving forward and then back into the matrix doing the force push
2: yeah, there's a couple shots like that that they don't really do in the first three movies. The mm-hmm. idea that, like, what he's doing in the Matrix is reflected, like, his gestures and his physicality. Obviously, there's shots of, like, when he's getting beat up, his body is reacting to it, but there's not shots of him, the what he's doing in the Matrix, what he is doing being expressed in his physical self in the real world. I thought that was a really, like, an interesting shift in how that's depicted.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, gosh what haven't we talked about yet
2: i feel like we're approaching a good time you are talking about bugs so, but i don't know what i want to say about bugs except for she's really fucking cool yeah. and like again you look at like the the legacy sequels that we have seen in recent years jurassic world jurassic world terminator dark fate which is an okay movie but like none of the new you love terminator dark fate it's my favorite movie of all time yeah. um None of the new characters in those movies are ever good because the point of those movies is always just like, here's the old stuff, but now it's maybe old or maybe it's not if you don't want it to be (laughs) like the whole, like, I know that all the old Ghostbusters show up in the new Ghostbusters movie because that's what people actually wanted to see. And I'm sure those new characters are just fucking nothing. Um, So it is amazing that there is a character as good and cool and fun as Bugs, like They could do a, I don't think they should do a Matrix 5, but if they did and Neo and Trinity just weren't in it and it was just Bugs and the Nemesine going on adventures, like, you know, trying to free minds and and hanging out with Sabebe, like, I would love that.
1: I could think of much worse things than for that whole crew to have an HBO Max series. Fuck yeah. Or that should be the open world video
2: game, which you should be able to play as Bugs.
1: Yeah. And you have a button that you can press contextually, obviously, to pet Sabebe. You could
2: summon Sabebe.
1: Yeah, you could call Sabebe over and she like warbles over to you. Yes. All right. Oh. All right. All right. You're listening to Warner Brothers Gaming. <laughs> Put the nemesis system in there. You can like, you know, fight like cool exiles and agents and shit that have like different traits. And Sabebe is there. That's yeah. all we need.
0: I, I like that Bugs is is a window washer instead of working in an office. Yeah, I also like the scene where she's introducing Neo to the ship. It it felt like um like a younger queer person talking to an older one, explaining that well, you know, the word transsexual isn't really uh, that common anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like the way she frames the pill choice in the beginning, which is that it's not really a choice because you already know what you have to do. I feel like that ties in very well with um Neo and Trinity, where they they understand that they're dissatisfied with their lives, but they're just too terrified of losing what they have to make a leap into something else
1: yeah i i think that like something that's a a very fun contrast for like bugs versus you know like the originals of like morpheus and trinity um who like she's kind of standing in for both of their their roles in a sense um is that like she's someone who experiences like joy in very palpable ways and like morpheus and trinity are both characters who like experience those emotions certainly in like the the first movie but in very very controlled ways and i think it kind of speaks to like you know what it is like to to live in this like liminal context of like well we are inherently a subculture you know we are inherently like very niche something that is like not um something that like can exist all that publicly um but like when bugs hears morpheus the new morpheus like say who he is she just like lunges forward and hugs the guy um and that's a, that's the type of like emotional display that like if you were seeing that in matrix movies before it would be through like uh fan favorite lunchbox or perhaps lunchbox's <laughs> replacement in the second and third movie's link um but like never through someone who is like in the offering you the pill role. Like you're not supposed to like offer someone the pill and then like just like jump for joy when, you know, they make the choice that like, you know, they they were always going to make that you knew they were going to make that is like the right choice for them. Um, and I I I think it's so cool, effectively, that like she represents like this kind of evolution of what like queer identity and queer community can like come to mean when it's not so immediately focused at all times on like defending itself and like safeguarding itself and sticking to the shadows. Um, you know, in an aesthetic sense, like I do mourn the loss of like, you know, the leather and latex culture from like 90s, like all queer scenes that was like clearly super formative in the original Matrix movies. But like, it's cool that they can be corny in their own ways at this point, instead of like corny in the way that like I grew up with.
2: Yeah, I think that the pill thing is really interesting in how she frames it because, like, it, it's almost a reflection of, like, sort of, and I, I'm sure we've probably all been through this, but, like... Not me. You have. <laughs> you know, this, this experience where, like, someone you know comes up to you and is like, I've been kind of having these thoughts and, like, you know, like, I don't know, what do you think? And that part of what you, I think, always have to say is, like, look, I can't tell you how you feel, but... The fact that you're asking is, you know, if you're asking me to tell you what you are, I can't. But the fact that you're consumed with these questions means you should probably at least explore it. And I think that's what that pill scene kind of reflects, which is this idea that, like, by the time you get to the point where you're being offered the pills, you've already chosen to take the red one. Like, you can't get to that point without already understanding deep within you what you need to do. Um and it's, you know, goes back to the, the first movie when when Trinity talks about, you know, what Morpheus told her is like, you're not actually looking for the answer. You're looking for the question that defines this very vague and, and abstract, like, search for meaning in your life. And once you understand that, you already know what the answer is.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I'm always a sucker for old people choosing that they can still live the life they actually want to live. And especially a sucker for younger people being friends with old people and telling them like how much they mean to them. And that even though Neo's maybe had like a tough, complicated relationship with his transness, that still made room for people like Bugs to come out in a way that maybe she wouldn't have.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that we didn't talk about earlier with that the scene of Bugs awakening is that that some people have brought up on Twitter recently is that Lana Ochaoski has talked about, you know, a suicide attempt she had when she was young, where she was standing on a subway platform and she just sort of locked eyes with someone. And this guy just like kept staring at her in a way that like, you know, made her step back basically. Yeah. Um, And I think that that is like, obviously that is reflected in the subway scene in the first film. You know, that imagery is very, very, very loaded, even without knowing that, but like, That is also like that connection that's happening in that bug scene is totally there. That sense of like having this moment of sort of recognition and understanding um, because you are seeing someone else's pain in a way that makes you understand your own in a way that was like abstract to you up until that point. Um, It's really, really like it's it's this, this movie. This movie is like something else.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, do we got anything else that we want to dive into? Or are we are we filling Matrix out?
2: I, I I feel like we talked about a lot. I mean, how long have we even been going? Like almost two hours. Yeah.
1: Yeah, about Matrix length.
2: Well, you know, it's about the almost the length of a Matrix movie. Great flick. Maybe my favorite Matrix film. Maybe. Yeah, it's really good.
1: <laughs> Listen, I I think that like everything except for revolutions is something that I would have to like seriously consider for that. But like. Yeah, it's very clear that like this movie moved me and was like it was it was really powerfully emotional for me in ways that like even rewatching the others like didn't quite get. So, yeah, I'm really really glad that this movie exists. I'm really glad that like she got to make it and like Bill Warner Brothers for two hundred million dollars for the shit that was obviously going to flop. What the hell is
2: going on over there? Because Zack Snyder also took them for a fucking ride this year. Yeah, yeah.
1: Cool filmmakers stay winning this year. And Warner, Warner B- Brothers is the ATM. Warner- it-
2: <laughs> yeah exactly That's or is,
1: brothers is like the streets of rage
2: boss that you could just like infinite combo in the corner <laughs> of the screen they're like that one koopa in that mario game that you could just bounce back and forth forever and get a million one ups yeah, yeah yeah
1: so shout out to them for being very easy to like fool into giving someone 200 million dollars i hope they
2: keep doing it i hope that they keep allowing filmmakers to make movies that in, in no uh in no one's right mind they would ever think that they would make money yeah
1: that's fucking cool shit
0: (laughs) it definitely did feel very nice after watching the other three kind of in a row to have this movie end with directed by lana wachowski
2: yeah because they still won't fucking change the credits on the old ones
0: yeah for sure
2: esther is there anything you would like to pluck yeah so um i have a podcast called get cynical uh we talk about terrible terrible internet personalities and the passion projects they make that suck um mm-hmm. we're currently in the middle of season two and uh, talking about just youtube guys who made feature films uh and hannah will be on an episode mm-hmm. when you're hearing this it'll be the uh next episode upcoming um, so that'll be nice. That's called Get Cynical. We don't have a website, but if you just Google Get Cynical Podcast, it will come up. <laughs> um, oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What about you, Hannah? What do you have to plug? Uh, yeah. So, what I'd
1: love to plug is um, if you can just go to www.pornhub.com <laughs> and type into the search bar latex milf. That's L A T E X space M I L F. Just check it out. Just see what you find um actually uh i'd love to plug my podcast do not steal an original character podcast that i do with olivia um which is half tabletop criticism and then the more important half is that we make ocs in a new tabletop system every month uh we're currently on just like a bit of a holiday break but should be uh giving you guys a very cool anniversary wrap-up episode pretty soon stay tuned for that oh and you can find that on the abnormal mapping podcast network
0: right you can find me on idle on play Test, an actual play podcast that's actually kind of deeply inspired by the matrix i didn't even realize that until recently fuck yeah but it's about having like your your soul be like a little guy who can follow you around and punch people
1: Hell yeah thanks so much for having us
2: yeah thank you so much this i think it was nice to kind of condense the very frequent conversations Hannah and I have been having over the past three weeks uh, into one real one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I usually close this out with a joke. Would you like to hear a Matrix joke? Oh, yes, please. Sorry, I'm looking at
2: (laughs) (laughs) Take your time. I want all the dead air to remain in the episode. <laughs> you have
0: to put Mona Lisa overdrive over this section. <laughs> the problem is there's no good matrix jokes. I might I might actually have to repeat one.
1: I haven't heard it, so
0: Okay, this comes in from upjoke.com/slash/matrix-jokes. What would be Reese Witherspoon's credits name if she starred in The Matrix?
1: I don't know. What would it be?
0: Reese Wither, because there is no spoon.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, got him. That's so true.
1: Blah blah blah. Real trap shit. Not in the problematic way.
0: Oh, there's lots of problematic ones. I just don't want to read those. (laughs) (laughs) That's why it takes so long.